The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the line! Leave your rivalries at the door and get the team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King sports pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18 plus, drinkaware.co.uk. Hi, it's Alfie here, the presenter of The Ruck. Before we get to this week's episode, I want to tell you about Funding Circle. And to do that, British and Irish Lions, Saracens and England hooker Jamie George is alongside me. How are you, Jamie? All good, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. It's good to have you with us uh, for The Ruck. Now, Funding Circle backs small and medium UK businesses with simple, competitive business finance. And Jamie is a Funding Circle ambassador because, Jamie, not only are you day-to-day a professional athlete, but you're also a business owner as well. Yeah, yeah. I uh, set up a business with a good school friend of mine about six years ago called Carter and George. Um, we're a physio business that effectively tries to deliver the same level of elite care that I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. So the link between physiotherapy and strength and conditioning and rehabilitation, etc. I've been looking for a physio. so I know a good place. I'll get your card after. Funding Circle has supported over 90,000 British businesses with £12 billion in finance since 2010. So, Jamie, simply, how have Funding Circle helped you? Well, obviously, they've got an amazing um, financial product. So um, our most recent venture is, is trying to grow the business as quickly as we can. We've got five clinics now and we're looking to push on. And obviously, we wouldn't have been able to do that without the help of a funding circle and um, the financial support that they were able to give us. So if you're looking to overcome challenges or push your business forward, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. This is The Ruck, the rugby podcast from The Times and The Sunday Times. We've got a fair idea how the rest of the rugby season will restart, but no idea how it's going to finish. Clubs and unions continue to debate slash argue about the extra international window in October, but at least it looks like premiership matches will be played at home grounds rather than neutral venues. I'm Lawrence Delalio, and joining me today are Owen Slots, Stephen Jones, and making a guest appearance, a very welcome one, from Rugby World magazine is Alan Dimmock. Gentlemen, I trust you've all had a, a wonderful weekend with some live sport back on the television, most notably, I guess, football and super rugby over in New Zealand. Let's get straight to the talking points for, for this week, really, on the ruck. Um, Operation Restart. Owen, I'll start with you. The paper this morning, John Westerby, reports the idea of, of neutral venues for, for the remaining Premiership fixtures have now been scrapped and looks like rugby may well follow football. That's inevitable, isn't it? Yeah, rugby is is following football very, very slowly at its, at its uh, own pace and uh, if, if we can get to home venues, that's better than two neutral ones. So that that would be great. The, the, what following the story of, of restart rugby is just peculiar, isn't it? Because it's always one step forward, two steps back. You know, one day we think we're we, you know the world's going to be normal again, and then, and then we think it's never going to be the same. So 
I, I still don't really know what, what it's going to look like in, in August. But I'm wondering now, you know, with the talk of one uh, of us social distancing going down to one metre, which seems to be about to happen, that maybe when we get to August, we can have, have a, some small crowds in as well, which would be spectacular. Oh, you, uh, very warm welcome to you, sir. Well, well, I mean, what have you made of, of this whole kind of um, mess that we call Operation Restart? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Thank, uh, morning, guys, and thank you very much. It's an interesting one because you say mess there. The situation we've got ourselves is we've given a uh, given the sport a fixed point to aim towards, but it's all the details between now and then that we haven't got. So, for example... We're talking about five phases to get back to what we're used to with rugby. We're still on phase one at the moment. Uh, we're looking at phase two where actually there was a video from uh, Leicester Tigers where their team doctor, Harjinder Singh, laid out in very clear terms what the five phases were. And where we're at at the moment is social distancing within training, sort of individualised looking more at conditioning. Some ball has come into play, but then we're not yet at phase two where we'll look at contact. And that's the reason why it always seems so ludicrous when we had people saying that rugby will be the first sport back because of the inherent issues with having contact in training and on the field. And as we're talking about now, potentially within the stand. So we've got this fixed point in the distance, but we're not quite sure when we're going to go into phase two, when that squeaks into phase three, when phase four comes in. And phase four is the interesting one because that's the idea of cross borders. We also want to entertain the idea of going into Europe. Interestingly, as well, is there's so much, there's such a lack of clarity on testing and how that will look uh, when it comes to having people in the training. It's an interesting tidbit that came out a couple of days ago is that the IRFU have been te- doing tests on their uh, coronavirus tests on their players, and uh, Leinster and Munster, they had zero confirmed cases when they did that. Do we need to have a bit more information about that with the Premiership clubs and when, we've, when we're heading towards that set deadline whilst we wait to see if we can go into phase two? You say, do we need a bit more information? Isn't the complete silence from Premiership rugby, the lack of information, one of the weirdest things about the last... Well, it, it, it really is, isn't it? And, and Stephen Jones, I mean, I think when we all embarked on the odyssey that was the Rugby World Cup in Japan, I don't think any of us in our, in our sane minds would have would have seen how this rugby season would unravel, let alone that tournament itself. I mean, there is a, there is a literally a storyline every single day. And the latest one being that uh, the sport of uh, rugby union may be on the brink of financial ruin, but it hasn't stopped premiership rugby. Extraordinary story, really, from bringing in consultants, PwC, to help them with, with Operation Restart. I mean, you know, having gone from declaring Darren Charles, the CEO of Premier Rugby, that they'd attempt to be the first sport back on TV. They're now bringing in PwC. Now, I presume PwC's job will be to, to, to try and extend that process for as long as possible. Well, that, that, <laughs> I think you've been unfair to Darren Charles. He did come out and say one thing, that we, rugby would be the first sport back. But what a shame that the only thing he said about anything turned out to be a complete load of utter tripe. And we've, as you said, Lance, we've not heard a thing from them, which is absolutely staggering. Why not send out a, a few little good news stories, etc.? And PricewaterhouseCooper, I'm sure they're a great company, never really been touched by greatness in their, uh, as far as I can remember, in their relations with rugby. They hired a judge to... Uh, to do some sort of uh, extremely long uh, process, which I suppose had to be done. Is there going to be any expertise that they've got themselves so they can do anything <laughs> or say anything themselves? What is their level of expertise if it's not in rugby? 
and, and, and also finally, um, just think, um, I agree with you, it's nice that the home games, you can play your games at home. Your fans can see their players and their lads, which is what they want to do. Let's not forget that the crowds of fans have got a massive amount of love for their, for their 12 or 13 rugby clubs. But I just wondered whether, is it great news that, that, that they're going to be home and away? Because the idea was, surely, Lawrence and, and uh, Owen, they have two stadiums which they make you know, sterile, they get all the stuff they need around there, they get all the testing in place. Now they've got to do that in 13 venues, not two. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I just think that makes it even more complicated. Yeah, it certainly does. And I mean, the other big story of, of the last couple of weeks is obviously the, you know, the implications of the miners' reports. And there's been various things written about the clubs sort of uh, moving very quickly to reduce the salary cap. And obviously, uh, there's been a rush of uh, of sign-ups of, of existing players on, on new contracts, maybe extending their contracts uh, by a year or so, but then reducing them in, in their terms of their financial terms. It all seems a little bit at odds with the fact that, you know, the time when the sport needs to be pulling together to try and plot a way forward, the st- you know, rugby in, it, in its own way seems to be, um, you know, fighting within itself. You know, Damon Hopley coming out with some very strong words saying that the... Uh, Club owners are exploiting a loophole in the salary cap, etc., to try and get players under contract. But um, it's you know really is uh, worrying times for, for certain players. Al, um, what have you made of that yourself? Well, I think the, the the thing that's most interesting about this is these changes coming in is it's it's like an episode of countdown. There's a big ticking clock behind everyone, and that's what's putting on a lot of pressure. So the loophole that we're talking about here, when we're saying that if it, someone signed a contract beyond 2021 with these changes coming in is that they would be looking at only 75% of their wages to bring them under the cap because they'd already had a pre-existing contract. You can understand that the concept of that that was brought in as quickly as it was, was to help with the idea of transition. You know, we wanted to be fair to people that had already signed up for long-term deals, moved their families around the country, that kind of thing. Of course, it then creates an opportunity uh, and if you want to have a play around with it, this is the loophole that, that Hopley and others have been talking about. The other thing with that ticking clock as well is that, and I think it was came out 10 days, uh, people were wanting it to happen by the 18th. So 10 days after the decision was made. The interesting thing is that that clock is suddenly ticking for players. And there's a lot of grumbling about the potential for people being having a gun to their head and saying, you've got to sign this, this opportunity is not going to be here forever, you've got to do it now or forever hold your peace. We've gone past deadline day, haven't we? All those, con- the, the guns have, have, have been against their head and, and uh, either, either the trigger's been pulled or, or, or they've reached agreement. It, it, has that dispute not sort of quietly gone away because people have realised that there's no alternative but just to fall into, into line? Well, I, th- I think so. But again, it, whether the player holds the power or whether the club holds the power, or whether the agent holds the power, and it seems less and less like like the agents are holding much power. But if if you're a player that your club desperately wants to re-sign, whilst they want a deadline next to it, then they're not going to force you into signing a contract until everything's in place. If you're a player that perhaps they're a little bit less worried about losing, then then things change. This is what it comes down to: is so we'll have clubs like Sale, for example, heralding the fact that we've signed the entire squad on long-term deals and how great that is. Fantastic. You know, if that's if the players think that's best for them, then cool. We'll find out what the valuation is for that 
when the market changes and COVID is over. It's interesting that we mentioned PricewaterhouseCooper as well, because looking at the value of players, let's remember that PricewaterhouseCooper, one of the last times we saw their um, involvement in rugby was the dispute over the Maro Atoji's image rights valuation. And they've had involvements with Wasps. And whenever we've had consultants come in and look at valuation, look how much money was chucked at them for the, was chucked at the sports consultancy, a different consultancy company to evaluate the Rugby World Cup for 2023. Lots of money was chucked at that and people did not go with that decision that they went forward to. So the interesting thing is if, to, to see how they're interconnected is the idea that we can have a value set on something, but the value in COVID time and the value in the time of salary cap readjustments, we may be seeing a very different picture. So Slotty's right that the deadline for that has passed and people are heralding these deals. Let's see what we think they can be readjusted when things get back to normal and we actually have rugby going on on the field. Well, talking about rugby going on on the field, I think we can we can talk positively about a couple more games that happened over in New Zealand with uh, with their Super Rugby. I'm sure if you weren't watching something else, you, you would have you would have caught that rugby. The Chiefs, Warren Gatlin's Chiefs, went down at home in Hamilton to the Blues, um, the Auckland Blues, 12 points to 24. First time I think the Blues have won there for quite a few years now. And then obviously the Hurricanes uh, at home again defeated 25-39 to the Crusaders, who seem to be uh, certainly back to their best. Jonesy, I mean, as a huge fan of Super Rugby in New Zealand, I thought I'd uh, probably start with you. I, I'm fascinated by it. I've seen all four games. The only the only downer was that they had an absolutely minute crowd in Wellington in the cake tin. Really, really poor crowd. En- enjoyed the rugby. The only trouble is, as we know, Lawrence, the breakdown laws have been really stressed. Now that they could have put you, if they'd done that when you were playing, you might have had to retire with the, the, with the new severity. But the breakdown laws are being applied by some brave referees. The only trouble is after four games, there are so many penalties, the commentators are just slightly turning against it. The crowd are turning against it. Well, in my opinion, it is the players who have not quite learned about it. I think these new breakdown laws will be for the good of the game. But at the moment, you're talking about sort of 20 penalties a match. So that's interesting. I also think that um, there's some great players coming through. And I, to be honest with you, I really enjoyed it. I think that um, it's not being out and out basketball. Big crowds there and fair play. It's live rugby with a crowd and I, I'm not knocking it at all. Warren's boys are 0 for 2, which is not so good. But uh, players are coming through and uh, I, I, I find it really enjoyable. The other thing that stuck out to me is obviously the, uh, the, the crowds. I mean, appreciate Wellington, the crowd was down a little bit, but it does seem to be that the New Zealand public have fallen back in, in love with their own domestic game to a certain yeah. degree. And, and for, the, for those guys who watched it as well, there seems to be a, a reduction in, in the number of box kicks and that willingness to play rugby from your own 22 in your own half maybe which see, um, I don't know whether that's just a New Zealand thing but but certainly watching rugby in this part of the world seeing 30 box kicks from each from from either side you know each side in both games was uh, it was painful viewing so uh, I do think the the new laws that they're trying to implement are, are definitely a positive Al did you catch that Chiefs Blues game? Uh, I did, um, and I, I particularly wanted to pick your. Uh, for, well, firstly, I agree with Steve on on the breakdown. It's it's uncomfortable. It should be until players change their habits. 
and that's the whole point of it. So uh, fingers crossed people start picking up on that a little bit more. But the Blues game is interesting. I'm, I'm keen to pick your, your brains on this. Hoskins Satutu, who number eight for the Blues, looks incredibly special. He threw a cutout pass for Mark Delea to score in the corner. There was a sniff of an intercept with it, but it was weighted absolutely perfectly. He scored a try. He can kick. He's, uh, he's a hard runner. He's an up-and-coming talent. And Buck Shelford was actually quoted today in New Zealand saying that he's a very, very exciting talent. We should be a bit cautious with him. He needs a couple of years to really bed in in Super Rugby before he's heralded as the next Kieran Reid. But considering that Kieran Reid is now gone from Test Rugby and the All Blacks need someone in that iconic number eight shirt, I was wondering what your thoughts were, Lawrence, on Hoskins Satutu and what sort of potential you think he has. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest with you, uh, Al, I watched him, I wouldn't say for the first time, but it's the first time I've, I've properly studied what he was up to at the weekend. And, uh, you know, the Blues have got uh, have got a little bit behind them again, haven't they, really? They've, they've, yeah. they've been the quiet boys uh, for so long in Super Rugby, uh, never really fulfilling their potential. But there certainly feels like the, that there's some sort of wranglings of a bit of a comeback there. And, and uh, yeah, he, he looks a real real prospect, real star. Uh, really looking forward to watching him play and develop a lot more. And uh, and certainly seems to suit the uh, sort of all-court game that the Blues are currently trying to play at the moment. The thing with the, the Crusaders as well is uh, having had a bit of time off, it didn't seem like there was any ring rust with them whatsoever. Um, they're just such a slick unit. Scott Robertson's star continues to rise as a coach, um, but they scored a try within 60 seconds. I mean... Steve said it wasn't all like basketball, but the, the Crusaders scored a, tie within, a try within 60 seconds of the game starting, where there were nine passes, six of which went through the hands of the forwards before it ended with Seve Reese in the corner. And it just shows you the value of basic skills at that level when it's executed properly. No ring rust whatsoever with the Crusaders. They still look pretty incredible. The New Zealand game generally, and the All Blacks in particular, have always been ahead of the rest of the world. They've always tried to... Uh, put themselves ahead of the curve and with these new law changes Jonesy you know I know that we're saying there's a lot of penalties being given away and understandably players are still coming to terms with it but you know we're, we're two weeks in now to Super Rugby and by the time Operation Restart in the Northern Hemisphere kicks in the New Zealanders are going to be well ahead of the game in terms of these new law interpretations it's going to take you know all the teams in this part of the world even longer to uh, to understand absolutely what we, we'll just be starting again and I, we can bet anything some of the referees will be hard on it up here some won't be it'll be different in the top 14 and everything and it'll be real it'll be much more confusing in New Zealand it's a lot easier to to narrow it down and to and to be consistent because it's not such a it's not such a big game. I mean, there are only five teams in the, in this tournament, so that'll be really interesting. Our referees, the likes of Tony Spreadby and all the refs, have got to say we're going to play it. Uh, we're going to play it as hard and strong, just like the New Zealand referees. And it is up to the players to sort themselves out. It's not up to us to keep the game going. Incidentally, just with that word on Satutu Al. I just love the guy. I mean, I like. I think he knows he could be box office. He's he's dyed his hair blonde, you know. His dad was a great centre, wise Sally, and I just like Satutu. And he's the sort of thing that kids come along and say, "I want to see that big guy with the with the blonde hair," sort of thing. So I just think he's good news. I think he's good news. The other debate that's been going on for a, for a couple of weeks now is obviously the global season, World Rugby's plans for summer rugby, and who's going to compromise. Owen, it seems to me that whilst, you know, everyone's talking about alignment and the fact that the unions are talking more now than they ever have before, you know, the French and the English clubs who probably stand 
the most to lose in terms of falling into line with world rugby's sort of plans. You know, they seem vehemently opposed for that. Do you think we're honestly going to find a way forward for uh, for 2021? I think one of the reasons why no one quite knows when this season is about to end is because no one really knows when next season is going to start. What I definitely can report, Lawrence, is just looking out at my window from uh, where I'm making the Zoom call is our, the people over the road are just putting some suitcases into the back of their car and looking as if they're going off on a holiday. So I don't know if, if this is the equivalent of reporting your neighbours for A, having fun or B, breaking lockdown, but I'm really interested in where they're going. Lottie, and, they've got to be stopped. You know what you've got to do. Get over there. Lottie, they, um, coming from they, the borough of Richmond, they're probably heading for their second or third home. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if, if it's Cornwall, there's no way they'll be allowed in. They... They've got balaclavas over their face so people won't be able to see them. Anyway, maybe they're heading to New Zealand to watch the rugby. So as we know, a week ago, there was a meeting and the clubs, French and English, stuck up two fingers to the World Rugby or the unions who wanted this new shaped season. Well, I, I don't really know where there's a, a compromise because the, the, I don't think the clubs want to compromise. And the figures that the French clubs have put out make it very clear that they, it would be suicidal, not suicidal, but it would be very bad business for them to... Um, start playing summer rugby without wishing to, to, to go into why can't rugby sort itself out but my conclusion is why can't rugby sort itself out I mean here we are another set of negotiations and the clubs have gone in and again been presented with a with with, with these decisions by the unions who should have t- spoken to them beforehand I, I just don't understand why they can't communicate better in terms of this, this new season the, the Pro 14 know what they're doing they, they've got a season that's going to finish soon or restart and finish soon. The Premiership is going to restart. We don't know when it's going to finish or when it's, like, when it's going to start. I mean, it's a chaotic sport at the moment. It's um, It's been a poor lockdown for the administration of, of rugby. Well, I, I think, I mean, I agree with you. And, and whilst I can see the sense in, in the discussions of a global season, two of the tournaments or two of the institutions that I probably hold dearest in my, throughout my rugby career have been the European Champions Cup and the British and Irish Alliance. Whilst the Pro 14 and the Premiership understand where they're going, and maybe, maybe so do the top 14, I mean, the consequent, what are the consequences for the Champions Cup? Is it going to be expanded to 24 teams? And the question that everyone keeps asking me is, um, are we still going on the Lions Tour next year in July? In the or are we going to be going in October? And as someone who um, has played for the Lions on several occasions, I can't give them an honest answer. And they look at me in bewilderment, saying, what do you mean you don't know when the Lions Tour is? I've been asked that so many times, when's the Lions Tour? When should we be booking for it? It's extraordinary, isn't it? That no one knows. Do you know, some people have been talking about that tour. I mean fans now, uh, for, for a year already. And... and, and it is despicable that, you know, there's something like um, our great friend, uh, well, we've got great friends in the travel industry, all of us, and I've heard that 35,000 expressions of interest have been made. That won't translate into everyone going, but I'm sure a lot of people will, even though they, they, there's a, they, some people have lost money. The idea that these poor people who, who, who have booked it to coincide with their summer holidays, are suddenly going to be told you've got to go in October when you can get a holiday, is absolutely despicable. And the, the fans are right at the bottom of the pile. And, but we all know, because we've all been on Lions Tours, it is the fans that make the atmosphere. It's the fans that drive the, the finance for the home economies. And for them not to have any say or any inclination of what, what they're saving for is just horrible. It's horrible.
Al, do you, do you just see uh, these all these things clicking into place once uh, once there's a bit more agreement, or do you think there's a, a bit more blood on the carpet yet, just yet? Oh, yeah, certainly, I believe in that. There's it, it almost feels like a bit of magical thinking to to throw the word compromise around. There's some pretty uncompromising characters in the room. Uh, to hear that some people wouldn't even entertain having discussions with other people um, is is quite worrisome. Um, but there's a lot a lot to pick out the hat here because. You know, we're talking about EPCR expanding the Champions Cup to 24 teams when things come back and the, the Dragons and Wales will benefit from that. Fantastic. But when does that fit in? There's the idea of the Lions. When does that go in? There's talk in France about wanting a completely new competition that crosses hemispheres and has teams playing each other. And that, that something like that being on the table is the true key to compromise. The problem is, is that everyone is, seems so self-interested at the moment. We ran a piece in the magazine recently which looked at a bit of the infighting that had gone on over the last couple of years between the Northern and Southern Hemisphere um, behind the scenes at World Rugby, which where things really came to a head. Recently, there was a lot of fear and loathing is a phrase that you could chuck around, but there was a lot of mutual distrust of each other. And it's amazing how we can come to a crisis point like this and people not set something aside. The one contact said to us there that the true key to fixing all this is that for people to accept that no one is going to get 100% exactly what they want. Concessions are going to have to be made somewhere. The biggest rugby tournament of the year is coming to a Green King pub near you. Watch all the unmissable action live as Europe's top six battle it out for glory in the Six Nations tournament. In and out, in and out, for the Leave your rivalries at the door and get their team together to watch the Six Nations. Feel the excitement and the buzz of coming together to enjoy matchday food and drink at your nearest Green King Sports Pub. Scores in the corner! The Six Nations and Green King. 18plusdrinkaware.co.uk Open wide and tuck in to Spooning with Mark Wogan, the brand new visualised podcast where Mark takes you on a unique culinary journey, blindfolded. With a dollop of light-hearted chat, a spoonful of hilarious blindfolded food tasting, and a sprinkle of top-tier guests like Jimmy Carr, Claudia Winkleman, and Joe Wicks. In partnership with Gressingham Duck, download their free recipe booklet for tips to dine in with Duck. Check out delicious new episodes of Spooning with Mark Wogan every Thursday. The Rock Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Funding Circle. Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses since 2010, so they know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive and a good team supporting you. They've helped Saracens and England hooker Jamie George grow his business. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how. If you're looking to improve different parts of your business or hire talent with extra know-how, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. One of the more um, left-field stories that, that came out this last week is obviously around the Swing Low, Sweet Chariot song. The RFU is now set to review the singing of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot in light of the uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Fascinating which side of the debate you sit on here. I mean, whilst there doesn't appear to be an appetite necessarily to ban the song outright, Martin Afire, Maggie Alfonsi and a number of other people have suggested maybe it's about educating people and allowing people to make up their own minds about it and suggested it should be looked at 
as part of a wider discussion on diversity and inclusion in the sport. Jonesy, I mean, you know, listen, you've been around for for probably before the song was invented, in fairness. So, um, oh, I'm not really answering that question if you're going to insult me. I, I don't know if anyone follows Trevor Phillips. He used to be in charge of, well, for a start, why are we mucking around with little totems, with little gestures, with little songs, with little statues, when we should be d- delving much deeper than that for, for the true answers? Everyone spent so much time talking about a song that no one's actually discussed racism. And, you know, look, I'll put my hand on my heart and say, in all the years I've been there, I, was, I started playing when I was 11. I played all the way up through school. I coached in a really, I think even my team would say, uh, not, not the, the, the most salubrious council estate. And I have never, ever come across one word which I would describe as racist. And I've coached Asians, I've coached Muslims, I've coached black guys, Zimbabweans, all my, all my lovely friends. And I think rugby does not have to rush to, to pummel itself for its record. On the other hand, we should be looking at why there are no black coaches, black men and women in positions of power. Now, but that is a much deeper argument. But we're not going to get there if we spend all our time mucking around with songs that, that, that basically don't mean anything and not meant to be insulting. So let's get to the point instead of mucking around with all the trappings. And I, ha- I have to say that um, having been involved in the game for, uh, for a little while, I mean, I thought one of the things that stood out for me in rugby particularly is that it does celebrate difference. Um, you can be different. You can come from any particular background. Admittedly, it doesn't always happen that way, but you can come from any different background. It doesn't matter where you're from you know, where you were before, you are accepted within the team. And I think that's one of the things that, that, that I think rugby should celebrate, quite frankly. Steve mentioned Trevor Phillips, and I, I saw uh, his um, very lucid comments on, um, on Twitter. And he was saying, he was suggesting that, that um, it, would, it was preposterous to ban the song. Now, uh, Maggie Alfonsi, her approach was, was very different. She, she said, could I sing a song written by slaves saying that they would rather be dead than incarcerated? I'm glad that Twickenham are looking into it because it suggests that they're taking it seriously, which is right. But we're talking about something that was written 150 years ago and trying to work out what its intention was, and it's not clear. So I don't really know whether it's right or wrong, apart from if it's offending people, then it's wrong. And I don't think it offended anyone. So I don't think many people were offended by it until until we started having this conversation. So we have to find out if people are offended by it. If they are, if they are then I would say, I would, I would be warning that we, should, that we shouldn't be, be singing it. So that said, I think it's, uh, as Jonesy said, it's part of a much bigger thing, which is not, is a song good or a, or a bad song. It's, is rugby doing enough to be inclusive? Um, as you said, Lawrence, I don't think, Rugby has really excluded people, but the administration and the coaching of the game, it is very white at the top. And so I mean, this goes way back into conversations from three weeks ago when Black Lives Matter um, uh, really raised its head. And I think rugby could do a lot, lot more. But I, I still instinctively feel that uh, rugby is a, is a game with open arms. It's just that it doesn't, show, it doesn't point enough people in, enough, in that direction enough. Gentlemen, uh, we have a birthday to celebrate. Would be remiss of us not to do that. It is, uh, of course, Rugby World's 60th birthday this year, and they've uh, celebrated with a 
special issue, and that's not the reason we invited Al onto the show, because we really like him a lot. But uh, we invited Al on the show because we like him a lot, and we want to talk about this wonderful magazine, Rugby World. You know, my father, Vincent, comes around to my house once a week or once a month and brings me... Um, brings me my copy of Rugby World because he thinks that I need to be fully updated on the uh, what's happening in the world of rugby. And he leaves it on the side once he's read it, of course. And so it has been an institution in our house ever since uh, I first picked up a rugby ball, quite frankly. And I'd just like to get, uh, before I come to you, Al, can talk, talk to us all about the magazine and, and, and what you've been doing in this particular issue and where it's going in the future. Just want to know what Rugby World means for for our other two um, guests here, Stephen, you've probably been a contributor to this magazine for as long as anyone can remember as well, but it really is uh, an institution in our sport, isn't it? Jones, have you written for all 60 years of that, of that publication? <laughs> no, no, don't be cheeky. I was a, a, a student in, uh, in college in Oxford Poly and I was a complete waster. I'd failed my degree the first time round because, not because I was playing rugby, well, I was playing rugby all the time, but I just didn't know how to manage my time. And I'd never been away from home before. And um, all I wanted to do was be a journalist. And I was in the coffee gallery at Oxford Poly one day, and my great friend Ed read this advert, and it said, Rugby World needs an office, a keen junior. Must be prepared to learn about subbing, picture editing, picture filing, picture filing. And I applied for it and I got it. And that was my first ever job. And wow. the salary was £2,473 a year. That's what I got. So I didn't start off really enjoying Rugby World because of that. But no, I did. It was a great job for me. I learned all, all about the aspects of journalism. I was with David Norrie, my, my colleague, who uh, went on to become a famous cricket journalist. Still great friends to this day. We were both 22 when we started. And it was the most perfect intro to journalism you could possibly imagine. And obviously, Rugby World's always been close to my heart ever since. Well, it was, it was always close to my heart because it was the only publication in rugby that I could work out that actually did a feature on schools rugby. But it really gave a, a, a real kind of a highlight for, for, for some of the younger stars coming through the game and for what was going on within schools and, and, and Colts rugby. But Owen, uh, just a quick Rugby World story from you. I think Rugby World's been a, an amazing mainstay of the game. When you think of the um, of the magazine industry and, and, and it, the comings and goings and publishing and what's what survived, and, and rugby's been there. Just all Rugby World's been there all, all the way through. There's been a lot of, a lot of times that other publications tried to take it on, which has been fun and good good for it. Uh, but Rugby World just just been a mainstay, and the standard journalism in there. Um, thankfully, since Al's arrived, has gone up a bit. I think that that's its one of its extraordinary achievements is 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 to be there for so long, uh, when so many magazines come and go and shut down. So well done, Al. Al's done a, a lot of really good, um, really good pieces in there. Yeah, but, yeah. I think it must be harder than ever to make good rugby journalism on a monthly basis, which is what the magazine is, because rugby moves so fast. That for me is its success. Is is you open it up and it. It does have pieces that stand alone that sit within a month and aren't out of date by the time you read them. And a, a lot of them, particularly the ones that Al's done, have been investigative and, and really proper hard work reporting. It's not just a desktop of, of glossy interviews with people. Well, there are a few of those as well. It, it's really good at the moment. And I'd say well done to all of them. Yeah. And, and Al, if I could bring you in at this stage, obviously, without sparing your blushes, but 60 years, I mean, that's, uh, that's quite a milestone. 
Yeah, well, uh, thank you very much for all the kind words, guys. Um, certainly, a lot of hard work goes into it. I've only I've only actually been with the magazine for seven years, and I mean, God, that's flashed by. And you know, as people, we change a lot in, in seven years. I think the thing that I always found daunting when I first joined up with the magazine was the name, because it's everyone in the country knows it. If you're in Scotland, I mean, we had a letter uh, last week from a, a man in his who had, had said he last picked up a rugby ball in 1953 and he was writing in a letter to us. He was from the Orkney Islands and he felt he had to get something off his chest. So he was writing a letter into Rugby World magazine. We've got teenagers down in Wales and Dorset looking at it. And it's been a hard line to trend in modern times with the, the dawn of the digital age. And Slotty's right. The, the biggest challenge we've got, but also I think the thing that's quite liberating is the idea of having something two or three months in advance that you've got to sit on that's going to be timely. It's forced our hand a lot to look at into the future, to try and pick on meaty subjects. Our editor, Sarah Mockford, is very good at letting stories breathe and trusting in you to, to go and dig up something in three, three months' time that, you know, who knows where it'll end up. For this one, though, it was a great opportunity for us to look back and say, here's all the fantastic things we've got. So we, we had interviews from players who'd been voted the best player of the six, for as long as the magazine had gone by. And it was a great opportunity to go dig up old interviews with the likes of John Olomo, who we had on the cover, to look at what he had. O'Driscoll, um, to look at star players from the 60s. Um, to celebrate players from all over the continent. And also it was a great opportunity to let big names have a say about where the game is today and those special moments through our 60 years history. So we're very lucky to have Richie McCaw, Sia Khaleesi, Dan Carter, Campesi, Edwards, Carling, Warburton, Bolt, just loads and loads of names contributing. And I think that's one of the, the nicest things uh, we've been able to do is look back. And, you know, every so often we'll even manage to squeeze in a Stuart Barnes column on something here or there. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fantastic. It's been absolutely brilliant. It really, really has. And uh, here's to another 60 years. Right, gentlemen, I'm going to give you an opportunity for any AOB. Um, just a couple of other stories. Will Skelton and Nicky Gonover have swapped the Premiership for France. I guess not unexpected. I think we'll see a lot more of those sorts of things happening as, uh, as Premiership clubs try and you know reduce their wage bill a little bit. A couple of retirements. Harlequins lose. Two hookers at the same time, Max Crumpton, age 26, Rob Buchanan, 29, both forced out of the game. That's obviously very, very sad news for both them and for Harlequins and, and maybe is a bit of a trend in, in rugby in general. But um, any other business, gentlemen? Al, I'll start with you. What, what are your hopes for the next week or so? <laughs> well, um, well, certainly it'd be great if we saw some white smoke coming out and people said, we've decided on a global calendar that everyone could agree with. I don't know how likely that is. Um, but it's interesting, just to go back on your point there about players moving to France, one of the interesting narratives that's come up in the last couple of weeks, and certainly speaking to players and coaches that are, have maybe been let, been let go from jobs and eyeing up what the market is like for them right now, something that I think is going to be worth keeping an eye on is, whilst we have seen players go to and from France, certainly there's a sense that the transfer market in France has changed massively with the introduction of the GIF rules, which means you have to have a certain number of French qualified players in your squad. There's also a thing they call the TIF rule, which means that you have to pay funds to clubs that have helped develop a player in France or a flat fee if you've uh, assigned from, a, from another country. So it means that the market has completely changed in France. And actually, one of the things that's worth looking at is the rise of transfers to Japan from Europe and also Major League Rugby is a thing where I've seen more and more players that are coming to the end of their career or even young fledgling coaches saying that might be where the opportunities are for us in the coming years is 
not France, where we traditionally thought they would come, but actually Japan and the US. And it'll be interesting to see how that happens and how the US, if that it does become a, a, a breeding ground for for transfers for, for athletes from Europe, is how they safeguard those jobs and that league grows if it's to be a success. And I hate to, I hate to be cynical, but is there a correlation? You know, I think there's a correlation between where players move and who's prepared to pay the fees of the agents that move them. Because, That's so uh, cynical, Lawrence. Well, it's very true, though, isn't it? Um, all of a sudden, those clubs that aren't prepared to uh, pay agents' fees, the agents are sort of uh, talking about them being in financial ruin and there's a financial crisis around those clubs. But yet they're very happy to move their players to France and Japan, where clearly, um, you know, whilst the, the, the movement might have been reduced in terms of its numbers, they're still prepared to pay the fees directly to the agents. Owen, anything that's sort of uh, that's really troubling you and you want to get off your chest or you're you're thinking you might have to uh, spend a bit of time reporting on in the next week or so. Yeah, there's one thing I really want to know, which is what are the two shirts hanging on the wall behind Alan Dimmock? I mean, when you hang, when you hang shirts on your wall, it's a statement about who you are. They obviously mean something uh, deeply to him. So I'll re- reveal this. This is, this is <laughs> I'd say one's a Scotland team. shirt. Yeah, one's a Scotland club international shirt, which is uh, which was the amateur team. We uh, a few years back we were touring with the actual full Scotland team and played against Ireland and um, France. And I mean, the other one suggests you might might have played with Gloucester or some kind. Is, of, st- is that, that Sterling? One, that one is London St George's in Ontario, Canada, which is a team my younger brother. My younger brother's a. You'll hate me saying this, but my younger brother's a Scotland sevens cap and. When we were younger, we sort of used his name to travel around and play for some people when university wasn't on. So we went to Canada and had probably the, one of the best seasons of my life out there. Anyone ever gets a chance to, to dive into the rugby culture of Ontario, Canada, get in there. How come you weren't a Scotland Sevens cap, Al? Look at the state of me, Slotty. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, is it, on, on, a, on a podcast we can't see him. That doesn't really translate, does it? <laughs> Well, listen, touring Canada is one of the great things to do in the rugby world, that's for sure. I, I toured Canada with Jonesy, by the way. That was, um, I played two games with him. Was that the, journalist, we, we, was that the rugby journalist sort of overseas tour? The rugby yeah. writer's tour of, uh, it was called, the, what was called the Old Moose Tour. We got done by a BC team that had 130 Canadian caps. We had 10, all won by Barnsley. I wish they'd have invited some of those former play- some of us former players to actually file a couple of match reports on some of those games. That would have been, that would have been turning the tables in the uh, in the most positive of ways, wouldn't it? Um, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have liked that, uh, Lawrence. I just um, think it's nice that uh, when it comes down to it, rugby in England, Wales, and other places is a community game. Whether that's the community going to watch a local Premiership team or just playing for your local team. And I think when people get back in rugby clubs, we'll, we'll then know that the lockdown is off. And when people go to uh, the Rico or, or, or London Irish's new stadium, I think there'll be great excitement and I think there'll be great crowds. And it's something to look, to look forward to. Unfortunately, I've forgotten in lockdown what a horrible thing it is to be a Spurs supporter. So I will be campaigning for the lockdown to stay on for several more <laughs> years. But I'm really looking forward to rugby coming back to the community and where it really does work. Here, here. One thing to mark your card this weekend, the virtual rugby show. Uh, you can go there online, virtualrugbyshow.com. It's, it's all in aid of the charity that I set up 10 years ago, Delalio Rugby Works. There'll be a number of guest speakers across the weekend, including... Bill Sweeney on Saturday giving a State of the Nation address. 
Uh, there'll be plenty of speakers talking about grassroots rugby. Uh, we've got a, a star-studded Lions lineup of uh, Brian O'Driscoll, Sam Warburton and Martin Johnson being interviewed by uh, Martin Bayfield. But by far, the one that everyone's really looking forward to is the live podcast from uh, Alex Lowe, Owen Slot, Stephen Jones and myself. And we're being held to account by Stuart Barnes. But in all seriousness, if you get a chance please do go on and log on to some wonderful rugby speakers from across all levels of rugby, virtualrugbyshow.com. All donations going to Rugby Works. Uh, gentlemen, my thanks to Owen Slot, Stephen Jones, Al Dimmock and 60 Years for Rugby World. If you've enjoyed today's show, please leave us with a review, a nice one, of course. Otherwise, I'll find out where you are. And you can subscribe to The Ruck on Acast, iTunes and your usual podcast provider. Thanks for listening to the Ruck Podcast. We're delighted to be teaming up with Funding Circle. And Funding Circle Ambassador Jamie George is with me. All right, Jamie? Hello. Hello. How are you? All good. Good, good. So away from Saracens and England duty, you are a business owner. And Funding Circle is a huge supporter of small and medium-sized UK businesses. How have they helped you? Yeah, so uh, I've got a business with a friend of mine. It's a physiotherapy business, effectively delivering the same level of care I get as a professional sportsman to the general public. And we've been looking to expand and grow the business as quickly as we can. And with the financial products that Funding Circle have done, we wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So Funding Circle has been supporting small businesses with access to the finance they need to grow since 2010. And they know that like rugby, running a business takes hard work, drive and a good team supporting you. If you want to invest in your business and take your team to the next level, Funding Circle provides finance that backs you and your business to succeed. Visit FundingCircle.com to find out how Jamie is growing his business backed by Funding Circle. Jamie, can you do the honours? Funding Circle, business finance that backs you. Six nations and six amazing chances to win an unforgettable adventure for you and five mates in a Six Nations European host city of your choice. To take part, enter online now at greenking.co.uk slash rugby. Six nations, six mates and six international rugby getaways worth £3,000. Scrum down and sign up to win at greenking.co.uk slash rugby and watch all the Six Nations action live at your local Green King pub. Terms and conditions apply 18plusdrinkaware.co.uk. Okay.